In Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, we read the following. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Uh, you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he, he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. But Jesus called to the crowd to come in here. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees? Yeah, I did, uh, by what you just said. Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father. Remember, he's answering their questions about offending the Pharisees, so he's talking about the Pharisees and religious leaders. Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. So ignore them. You know, ignore the religious leaders. Uh, they're blind guides leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. And Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual morality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, it's so good just to come simply before you this morning. And Father, we want to make it clear that we are not here to be entertained. We're not here to be amused. We're here to worship you. And so, Lord, we just come humbly and simply before you, opening up our hearts and our minds to you. And God, I pray that in the next few moments that you would teach us some things or remind us of things that maybe we've forgotten in the past. And God, that you open up our hearts so we might receive your word. And God, that we might leave here a little bit different than when we arrived. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in week five of this of the series where we're talking about how if we want real life, if we want a, if we want a full life, a blessed life, and remember a blessed life as we are defining it for the series is this, living with a God-giving joy, fullness and satisfaction regardless of outward conditions. Joy, fullness, satisfaction regardless of outward Conditions. That sounds pretty blessed to me. And understand, there's only one way for us, for me and you, to get to this blessed life. And that is by getting to the end of me. And our theme verse for this series are, is some words that Jesus spoke in uh, Luke chapter 17. Some true words. He says, if you cling to your life, if you live for me, if you live for yourself and your desires, I think a lot of us have tried that before. Uh, you will lose it, right? It's not going to work out so good. 
But if you let your life go, the end of me, you'll save it. And real life will begin. Okay, so if we want to get to the end of me where real life begins, how do we, how do we get there? Well, the good news is that Jesus tells us how to get to the end of me in his inaugural sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he invites us to live a counterintuitive life, where he invites you and I to, to live a life that on the surface, it, it doesn't seem to make sense, that it, it seems upside down, but yet it's a life that works. Because it's the yoke, it's the teaching, it's the way of our rabbi Jesus that will guide and direct us to the end of me and to the blessed life. Get it? Good. And so what we're doing in the series is we're discovering God's prescription for a blessed life and we are lighting up the pathway that will take us to the end of me. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we're like, that doesn't make sense. Because we're conditioned to think, blessed are the rich. Because that's how the equation seems to to work in our world. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you reach the point where you recognize, I'm bankrupt, God. I I need your help. I can't. I can't fix it. I can't mend it. I can't restore it. I, I can't put the broken pieces back together again. And listen, there's a blessing for you in that moment that you can't find outside of it. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who, who mourn. And that doesn't just seem counterintuitive. It sounds contradictory. It's like saying, blessed, happy are the sad. Happy are the sorrowful. Blessed are the depressed. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But what we find, what we find is that in the tears, in the pain, In the sorrow, in the hardship, there's a blessing from God that cannot be found outside of mourning. And a lot of us have experienced that. We've experienced the presence of God, the the comfort of God, the arms of God. Like Job says in in Job 42, verse 5, my ears have heard of you, but now in my tears and sorrow, my eyes have seen you. And then Jesus says, blessed are are the gentle. Again, so counter to the way the world thinks, maybe how we think. Blessed are the gentle. That seems like crazy talk, Jesus. Seriously, the gentle win? The gentle inherit the earth? I'm just not seeing it. Jesus, don't you mean blessed are the aggressive? Blessed are the the driven, the motivated? Blessed are the ambitious, the bold, the, the heavy hitters, those willing to do whatever it takes to win? But Jesus says, no, that kind of thinking is upside down worldly thinking because it's a gentle it's those who have their strength and power under control who are the real winners it's those who turn over the rule and reign of their lives over the God who inherit the earth brothers and sisters last week when someone served you corrected you hurt you disagreed with you Were you gentle? Was your power and strength under control? Or were you like a wild, untamed stallion, aggressive, harsh, and inconsiderate, kicking because you wanted to kick, bucking because you wanted to buck, with your strength and power pretty much out of control? I I I talked to several people this week 
who in the middle of a RBGC, a really big gentleness challenge, kept telling themselves, I need to be gentle. I need to be gentle. And then Jesus said, if you want to get to the end of me, you must be one who lives his or her life not to be served, but to serve. Bottom line, you need to take the me out of team. You need to get in the game. You need to do your job. You need to do your own special work. Because when you do, Paul says, it helps. It helps. The other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I mean, would anyone like to see this church healthy, growing, and full of love? Then get in the game. Do your part. And here's the deal. Here is the prescription. Here is the pathway that God has been lighting up for us since January the 21st. When you are poor in spirit, when you mourn, when you're gentle, when you take the me out of team and get it in the game, you are well on your way to the end of me where real life and a blessed life begins. Get good. Now this morning we're going to look at the sixth beatitude that Jesus shared in a conversation I'm calling Unpretending to See. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, now I know I, I, I skipped the fourth and fifth beatitude, but not to worry, we'll grab those in the coming weeks. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Question. Who here wants to live with a God-given joy, fullness, and satisfaction regardless of outward conditions. Anybody? Who here wants to see God? Okay, then we should all lean in this morning, right? Lean into God's word. And here's how I want to attack the next pathway to the end of me by unpacking three things, the call, the promise, and the path. And the call is this, blessed are the pure in heart. Now understand, if Jesus would have left off those last two words, And it would have just said, blessed are the pure, for they will see God. Jesus hearers, and especially religious leaders, would have been all over it. Because they were experts in outward external purity. I mean, they had all kinds of rules and traditions about what to eat and what not to eat, what to wear and what not to wear, how how far you can walk on a Sabbath and how far you can't walk on a Sabbath, who you should eat with and who you should avoid. Even had rules, as we saw in Matthew 15, their own, it's crazy when you read how they had to do it, how they actually had to wash their hands every time before they were allowed to eat. And listen, all these external things were an effort to appear pure to those watching. But Jesus did not say bless, simply blessed are the poor. He said blessed are what? The pure in heart. He, he takes it so much deeper. Jesus takes it to the inside, blessed are pure in heart. And that's an entirely different matter. I mean, there's a, there's a massive chasm. There's a huge separation between appearing pure on the outside and being pure on the inside. Get it? Good. You, you see, God is always, I did say good. <laughs> Sometimes you don't think I say good, but I did. You see, God has always cared about the heart. He talks about the heart hundreds of times in Scripture. Here's just a, a few of those. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Joshua 24, 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away your foreign gods that are among you 
Yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Chronicles 28.9, David's talking to his son. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your fathers and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. Psalm 66.18, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 17.3, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Proverbs 27.19, as the face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Luke 6.45, good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. 1 Peter 1, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from what? From the, from the heart. From the heart. Uh, listen, a, a central part of the upside-down, inside-out message of Jesus is that God doesn't look so much at the outside, which is so easy to fake. Instead, he looks at the inside. He looks at the heart. Where we are, what we are. Bottom line, God doesn't do fake. He doesn't do fake. Look three people in the eye. And tell them, God doesn't do fake. So Jesus drops this well-worn word pure into his sermon, and then he gives it a dramatic new spin. Letting us know that the way of his king, the way to the end of me, is not about outward appearance, but it's about the heart. You see, in God's economy, it's about purity of heart over purity of, purity of image. Now, the word pure is a Greek word from which we get our, our word catharsis, which means cleansing of the mind or emotions. Now, now, it basically has two definitions. First, it means to make pure by cleansing from dirt, filth, or contamination, it was used to describe metals that have been refined by fire until they're free from impurities. It was used to describe you know, clothes that are soiled and dirty being made clean. It was used to describe grain that had been sifted and is now pure. Second, this word pure was used to, uh, to describe referring to something that's unmixed and has no double allegiance. It's the idea of integrity. A signalness of heart as opposed to duplicity or divided heart. And, and so let's put these, these two definitions together. Uh, a person with a passion for purity is one who has been cleansed in character so that the way he or she looks in public is the way he or she is in private. They're undivided. 
authentic, sincere, unpretending, not faking it. In ancient Rome, sculpting was a, a popular profession. And there were a lot of sculptures because there was a big demand because there was a, a, lot of, a lot of false gods out there. And because the demand was so high, uh, there were a lot of sculptors who really were not that good. I mean, they were inferior craftsmen, but they wanted to make a big buck and a quick buck, and, and the money was there, and, but what they produced wasn't a great product. So legitimate sculptors started to mark their statues with these words, Sign Sarah, of which we get our word sincere. And the word sincere literally means without wax. Because here's what the inferior sculptors would do. Uh, they would go to their sculptures and where there were cracks and things that did not quite work out the way they wanted it to, they would, they would fill those in with wax. And so if you're looking at it from the outside, it looks like it's really good, but inside it's cracked and it's, it's not actually presenting what it really is. And, and so those who were pure sculptures, they would say, Sans, Sansera, without wax. And they would mark it that way, and then they would set it out in the sun, and you know, the sun would melt the wax, but it wouldn't melt their wax because there was no wax there, and therefore it was proving to be pure. And, and this is what we're getting at when we talk about the pure in heart. That what Jesus says marks a blessed life is a life without wax, is a heart without wax, is a heart that's sincere, that's authentic, that's unpretending and not faking it. Get it? Good. And the, and the, the call is blessed are pure in heart and the promise is what? That they will, that they'll see God. They'll see God. What does that mean? Well, obviously it means what we find in some of these promises in scriptures, like in 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall what? See him as he really is. And John writes in Revelation chapter 22, the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It, it flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop every month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Man, we need some healing. No longer will there be any curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps, for the Lord their God will shine on them, and they will see his face. So the pure in heart will see him when he returns. And that's going to be awesome, right? I'm looking forward to that day, you know, when I will see him face to face. However, there's still a sense in which the pure in heart will see God now. You see, our God is not just seated high above in the heavens, but he's also right here where we are. He's an all-present, ever-present God. And the pure in heart, those with an undivided heart, authentic and sincere, unpretending, they'll see him. Uh, they will see him as he works in their lives and the lives of others. They will see him as he, as he comes alive in his word. They will see him 
in his truth lived out that sets them free. They will see him reflected in other people. They will see him in the, the beauty and wonder of creation. They will see him extend his hand of mercy and they'll hear his voice of cheer in the hard and the difficult times. Uh, they will see him as he pulls them out of the pit and as he celebrates with them on the mountain. They will see him as he washes over them with his unfailing love. They will see him as they get caught up in acts of worship. I, I was walking around the lake this morning, walking my dog, and I saw him. Man, I was listening to some worship, and I know I, I was singing out loud, and I literally started skipping. I'm, I'm not kidding you, because I just felt God's presence and the beauty of creation and the wonder of the things that I was singing. You see, there's a seeing, there's a vision that goes so much deeper than our physical eyes. And we see a powerful illustration of this in John chapter 9 when Jesus heals a guy that was born blind. Maybe you remember the story, right? How Jesus spits, makes some mud, puts it on a guy's eyes. He says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes and you'll be able to see. He does it, he can see. Now the religious leaders are all bent out of shape because he had the audacity to open this guy's eyes on the Sabbath. And so they bring the guy in, they interrogate him, kick him out of the temple. And then beginning at verse 35 of chapter 9, it says, when Jesus heard about what happened, he found the man and asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I, I, I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they're blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you're blind, you would, wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. God was standing right in front of them, and he couldn't see them. Here's how I picture our hearts. Our hearts are like a window, Right? I took this picture yesterday at the window in the back office, right? And a window allows you to see out and it allows light to come in. One of our heart allows us to see out and see God, see God moving, and allows God's light to come in and help us see ourselves. But if that window gets muddy, right? Next picture, please. Okay. Now, I did try to slap mud on my window. It didn't work so good, so I had to find a picture. That's not the window there, out there. But, you know, when our heart is impure, right? We can't see God. And not only that, the light can't come in and help us see ourselves. The call is blessed are the pure. The promise is that we'll see God. And now for the path. First of all, the path to being pure in heart is no more self-cleansing. Um, there's such things as self-cleaning ovens, right? That's good news. Self-cleaning washing machines, coffee machines, right? There's even self-cleaning, I hear, litter boxes. I don't know if I really believe that. There's actually something called self-cleaning underwear. Like you can wear 10 days straight and it's, it's kind of, look it up, crazy, right? <laughs> but there's no such thing as a self-cleaning heart. External things, outward things, right? It'll never clean our hearts. Paul figured that out in Philippians 3. I'm not going to take time to read the passage. Paul talks about all the external things he used to do. 
right? He was a Pharisee, all these rules. And he says, you know what? I can't all this thing is rubbish because they didn't get me anything. Because what gave me life was my faith in Christ. Not what I did, but what Christ has done for me, right? See, what can purify our hearts? What can wash away our sin, right? Nothing what? The blood of Jesus, right? That's it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So no self-cleansing, right? We, we cannot cleanse ourselves. So the path is no more self-cleansing and then no more performing. A pure heart means the end of my performance. No more spotlight, no more living our lives on the stage. Now after the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, if you go over to the next chapter, it's still the same sermon, Matthew 6, Jesus says this to the, the Pharisees, the, the leading pretenders of the day. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do that, if you're just doing it for show, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus said, be careful that you're not doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Be careful that you're not exercising your faith and your spirituality to impress other people because if you do that, well then, that's your blessing, right? That's it. I mean, that's it. You've impressed somebody. But if you step off the stage, if you get out of the spotlight, then God will see what you do behind closed doors and that's when he'll reward you. You see, the life that God blesses is who you are when the spotlight isn't on you. It's who you are when you're, when you're not standing on the stage. Get it? Good. You see, in the kingdom economy, it's a, a lot is determined by the audience that you choose. So if you're most interested in what other people think, then their applause or attention, that's your reward. They say, well, you're an awesome, tremendous person. That's it. That's your reward. You've been paid in full. And don't go looking to God to give you any reward. However, coming to the end of me means that, that you're through with a charade. You're through with the emptiness of living that kind of life. Instead, you begin to seek to please God and receive your reward from him alone. What I'm trying to say is that when we close the public theater, when we drop the curtains, when we shut off the lights and play to an audience of one, and not caring about the reviews of the critics or anyone else, that's when we come to the end of me, and that's when we get God's blessing. And that's why we have to fight so hard the pharisaical way of life that Jesus condemns in Matthew 23. Everything they do is done for men to see. And now the pharisaical way of living is where we're just caught up living in the spotlight. Like, where if we go to lunch after church and there's a lot of other church people around, we want to make sure that everybody sees that, notices that we pray before we eat. Or we go to the movie theater, we, we're not going to go see an R-rated movie because that's part of our tradition. And what would they think if they saw us, but we're okay with recording them on our DVR at home. Or we do things like feed the hungry or help the needy, and we want to make sure we, we tweak that out so everybody can see all the things that we're doing 
and sacrificing for God. And Jesus says, well, if that's why you're doing it, then you got your reward. That's it. That's your blessing. It's what other people think of you. But he says, my blessing is found when you're off the stage, when you step out of the spotlight. And the truth for most of for, for the truth of, <laughs> and the truth is for most of us, that's not easy to do. Because we are a Facebook social media generation, right? That's what we do, right? Uh, we want to make our life look incredible. So you go on vacation with your family. There's certain things you're going to post and certain things you won't post. Picture of happy family at, at Disney, you post that. Fighting in the car for 12 hours going to Orlando, that never seems to make it to your Instagram. You post date night with hubby and with a picture of you gazing lovely in each other's eyes with the caption, I measured up. But no one posts Monday morning the fight when he couldn't find his keys and she didn't seem to care. There's a lot of shouting and doors slamming. Again, it's a spotlight syndrome. When you present the parts of who you are, your marriage, your children, that you want other people to see, and you push that in the spotlight. So everybody look at this. And it creates this mentality that it's not authentic. Yeah, I, I came across this quote this week. I, I think it's pretty good. May your life someday be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. Let there be a lot of happy marriages and vacations and families and churches. It'd just be wonderful. And, and, and that's the kind of mentality many of us have adopted with our lives. We push in the spotlight things we want people to know. We hide parts of us that we want to keep secret. In other words, we live by one script when we're on stage, when the lights are on, when we're putting on our show. But once we come off the stage, once the lights are off and we're at home in the car, in the hallway, wherever, we live by an entirely different script altogether. And brothers and sisters, that is not a blessed life. In fact, it's not even a healthy life. Check out this quote from a psychology textbook called Coping with Stress. Here's what the author says. People who tend to keep secrets or live lives, live inauthentic lives, have more physical and mental complaints on average than people who do not, including greater anxiety, depression, and bodily symptoms such as back pain and headaches. You see, there are these side effects when we don't have a pure heart. When you're pretending to be more on the outside, then you're on the inside. Again, it's not a blessed life. Get it? The path, no more self-cleansing, no more performance, and, and, and no, no more cosmetic cleaning. Jesus says in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees, when you read that, you can figure out why they like, wanted to kill the guy. Because like, they were the, everybody looked up to them, right? Everybody wanted to be them, right? They, they were rock stars. But sorrow awaits you, teacher of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind, there's that sight thing again, you blind Pharisees. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you're like whitewashed tombs, healthy, I mean, beautiful on the outside and filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. And he's being a little harsh here. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. But notice the order of the beatitude. First, we purify our heart and, and then we can see God. And we, we kind of reverse the order sometimes. We, we try to change the inside by altering the outside, right? Does that work? Have you ever tried that? I, I'm going to give you an illustration here, okay? I have something in here, right? There's a nice clean peanut butter jar. And there's something in there. Something in here pretty nasty, I walked my dog this morning. Need I say more? Okay. And let me see what's going on here. Okay. Wow. All right. But I know how to fix it, right? Right? I got to fix it up. Right, right. I mean, just, I'm just going to clean the outside here. Get this napkin off here. Right? I'm going to clean it up. Right? Shiny. Looks good. Looks good. Everybody can see how good it looks. Let me see. You know what, if cleaning up and polishing didn't work, you know what, this jar needs a social life. It needs some friends, right? It needs some friends. So I got some Nutella hanging out with him, right? We got some, you know, Reese's peanut butter spread. We got some chicken and star soup, right? We have a a can of pumpkin that I've been saving because it's 2010, it expired. I'm going to keep it forever. It made many moves with us. It's going to stay in our family. All right, so now it's got friends. It's hanging out. You know what? I, I, I bet you, I bet inside's pretty good now, right? Let me see. Wow, it's still. Okay. Social life didn't work. Clean out the outside didn't work. You know what? He needs some status, right? This dude needs some status. That's exactly what he needs. You know, I'm going to give this. He's, he's now driving a Porsche, right? Yeah. He's got him a Porsche. You know, he's got, he's got a nice house, right? He's got a nice house now. His house is nice. You know, uh, he had, oh, he's going to go to an Ivy League school, right? That's, that's going to do it, right? Uh, he has name brand shoes, right? We all love name brand shoes, right? So now he has some status, right? And what do you think? Okay. I'm not even going to breathe it this time. Wow. Seriously. What preacher brings poop to church? Who would do something that's silly, right? Who would think that by cleaning out the outside? But guess what? We can do that all the time, don't we? A homemaker battles depression, and what is the solution suggested by her friends? Hey, go shopping. A husband's involved in an affair that brings as much guilt as adventure. The solution? Hey, change your peer groups. <laughs> Hang out with people who who don't make you feel guilty. You're feeling lonely. Life is not what you want it to be. The solution, get a new car, go to a club, take a vacation. I mean, we we are surrounded by case after case of people treating the outside while ignoring the inside. Polishing the jar while ignoring the inside. And the result, it, it doesn't work. The new dress gets old. The depression returns. The peer group leaves. The guilt is back and the vacation ends. 
The exterior is polished, but the interior is corroding. The outside's altered, but the inside it's faltering. The message of Jesus is clear. You change your life by changing your heart, and you change your heart not from the outside in, but from what? From the inside out. And how do you do that? <laughs> by bringing your interior, by bringing your heart to Jesus. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup, dish, and then the outside will become clean too. First John one nine: If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The path: no more self cleansing, no more performing, no more cosmetic cleaning, no more pretending. It is exhausting and frustrating to live your life as a full-time actor or actress. Where everywhere you go, you're pretending. Where everywhere you go, you're wearing a mask, you're putting on a show, you're reciting lines. I mean, it just wears you out. I mean, Jesus says to the Pharisees, they do not practice what they preach. And that's the difference between a person who's pure in heart and a person who's a hypocrite. They don't practice what they preach. Yeah, they, they, they put up some signs on the outside. They, they put up some stickers on, on, on the outside that may look impressive, but you go inside and you find out that that's not really who they are. But Jesus says that the way we are blessed is by, by being pure in heart. And, and I think the, the, the way we purify and clean our heart is, is kind of like what we talked about in, in week two. Blessed are those who mourn. You see, it's when we mourn and, and we grieve. When we mourn our sins, when we mourn our acting and our pretending and our, and our faking and our hypocrisy. So when we do that, it's in the tears of confession and repentance that wash the walls and of our heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, we've been filling out some cards the last few weeks. That there are hundreds of them. On a Saturday, I took some time to look over them. Lord, help me with. I repent of this sin. And you know what really struck me on Saturday as I did this? that you guys are really a messed up bunch of broken sinners. <laughs> no. What struck me is that like a, a lot of them are true for me. Like, in a lot of ways, I, I could have written a bunch of them. And, and what I did, I, I started making two piles of, of these cards, and I was right over there, and I said, okay, uh, this is true for me, this is true for me, this is true for me, this is not true for me. And I was just overwhelmed by the pile of what is true for me. And so I just felt it was important to tell you that because of the role I'm here, at church, I'm in a church, that sometimes without even meaning to, that I can pretend to be more than I really am. That I can sometimes put on a show, stand on the stage and recite lines. And, and there's this instinct that says, Lord, you know, to do this effectively, it, 
you know, I, I need to cover up some stuff. Not let it show. Like, like, like the, 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 there have been times where, you know, I, I have, you know, worn the mask of being strong and confident when I was feeling weak and totally afraid. And so there's this tendency that we have to cover things up. You know, we, we put on a smile, we, we wear a mask, we act like we have it all figured out, and we know it's not true. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey says this, as a child, I put on my best behavior on Sunday mornings, dressing up for God and for Christians around me. Never occurred to me that church was a place to be honest. Oh, my goodness. You know, we've got to be honest, right? Let's admit it, that sometimes church is a place where more pretending and more faking and more hypocrisy happens than anywhere else. It never occurs of us that church can be a place where we can be honest, we can be real, we don't have to fake it. Now, though, as I seek to look at the world through the lens of grace, I realize that imperfections are the requirements for grace. Light only gets through the cracks. See, and I think what's been happening the last few weeks in this series, God is using it to help us become a church where we can be honest, right? Not to wear a mask. Don't have to pretend we have it together or not. That we're not broken when we are. Now, let's wrap this up. Something I noticed this week is that there's a connection between being pure in heart and and clean hands. All throughout scripture. Here's a couple quick examples. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in the holy place? In other words, who will see God? Who can be in his presence? Those who have what? Clean hands and pure hearts. And James makes the same connection. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Well, how do I come near to God? Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Now, in the Old Testament, when Solomon was building the temple, we read in 1 Kings 7 that, that he had five huge basins that held 220 gallons of water the north side and five huge basins that held 220 gallons of water on the south side. And when people came to the temple to worship, they would, they would wash their hands in the water. It wasn't because they were afraid of germs, right? And it wasn't because it was flu season. It, it, it was clean hands represented a pure heart. And so that's what we're going to do as we wrap up today. Uh, we're going to participate in this, this, ancient, this ancient ritual. That's what these little wipes are for. You know, we're going to stand and we're going to, we're going to sing a song. And, but, but as we're singing the song, you know, symbolizing that your clean hands represent a pure heart, you're going to ask God to reveal to you, you know, where have you have some things in your life that shouldn't be there? And ask God, where have you been pretending? You know, where have you been one way, right, and another way somewhere else? You know, you know, where have you been pretending with God? Where have you been pretending before other people? And so what we'll do after the song is we'll take these whites or while we're singing, wash our hands, and then we'll go over and we'll take communion, right? 
with their clean hands, uh, take communion to re- reinforce in our minds that the only thing that can purify us, right, is Jesus, right? The only thing that can purify us is the blood of Jesus. And so I really would encourage you today, because all of us in some way pretend, we fake it, and we want people to think we're more than we are, you, know, and you have an opportunity to really encounter God. Right? Because guess what? If your heart is divided and inauthentic and pretending, you're not seeing God as he really is. And so I would encourage you to get real with God during this time.